Welcome to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Vu, and I will be serving as your Femme Tour, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into graduate school. For the past 10 years, I've been helping undergraduate students get into top graduate programs in their field, and I'm really excited to share this information with you too. Hi everyone, today I have another bonus episode on financial literacy in grad school. It's going to be a quick episode, so I won't have an opportunity to cover everything. There is a lot to say when it comes to the topic of financial literacy, and a lot of times in my episodes, I'm only able to cover surface level information. And the point of it is not that, okay, once you listen to my episode, you're done, it's hopefully it's a launching pad for you to then take it upon yourself to learn even more. Now, before I get started, I want to say that I am not a financial expert. Um, I am not giving you financial advice per se. I'm just sharing information in the hopes that you can then go on and learn more and make your own informed decisions. So let's start with some basics um, about financial literacy in grad school. If you are a graduate student, odds are you're probably not making a lot of money and um, you, are, well, you are probably also struggling to make ends meet. That was true for me. That was true for a lot of my friends and colleagues who were also grad students. And of course, there is the exception to the rule. There are individuals who go to graduate school who have full-time jobs, who go to graduate school, who come from... Um, from families that hold generational wealth. That's the exception. But as someone who's listening to my podcast, you are probably a first-gen student of color, probably working class. And so this likely applies to you. And so one thing that I want you to um, make sure that you do if you're not doing right now is to make sure you are always creating a budget and updating it every month. What is a budget? The basics of a budget is it's a spreadsheet where you calculate the numbers of the money that's coming in and the money that's going out. Now, when I create my own monthly budget, it is a spreadsheet on Excel. And for me, I implement this method called the zero-based budget method. What does that mean? That means that every single cent that goes into my checking account or that um, gets paid to me, every cent is given a job. So every cent gets allocated to something, whether it's you know a certain amount of my paycheck goes to housing, a certain amount of my paycheck goes to food, to transportation, to health, to my debt um, payments, to my savings, etc. So even if there is leftover, that leftover is allocated to something. Usually it's allocated to savings. Um, but it can be something else. It could be fun. You know, it could be a splurge for that month, whatever it is. It's all based on your priorities. The point of it is that you get familiarize yourself with your numbers, with your money in, your money out. And hopefully you are, um, what is it, living below your means instead of living above your means. Living above your means means that you are spending more than you're making. 
And that's bad because it's going to lead you to going into more debt. It might mean you having to um, take on credit card debt or something else because you're in the negative or you're maybe missing payments, missing bills. That's not good. Uh, so you want to always try to live below your means if you can. There are um, different individuals who cover the topic of financial literacy and financial wealth building who have certain ratios that they recommend of like where your money should go toward. Like some people firmly believe that you shouldn't spend more than 50% of your money coming in on housing. But those of us that live in California will just laugh at their face because we know that that's not realistic if you live in California. And so I don't wanna give you specific um, recommendations in terms of percentages that you should spend. What I do want to say is that you want to familiarize yourself with your income and you want to spend less than what you make because you don't want to be in the negative. Now, the other thing that's good about creating um, a budget spreadsheet is a lot of people, they get overwhelmed or intimidated by numbers or um, they, there's, you know, you're, you get so caught up with living paycheck to paycheck that you maybe don't ever have the opportunity to think about your financial money goals. It's like, if you, have, if you had the opportunity to save for something, what would you save for? I know the first thing that comes to mind is you should save for an emergency. Having an emergency savings is really important and very few people actually are able to do that. Now, what do other people say about the emergency savings? In different frames of thought, but some people will say you should have at least three months worth of your monthly um, necessities and not just your regular budget. It's like your bare bones budget, what you need, basically shelter and food, your health and your safety is covered. Um, three months minimum of that so that if something were to happen to you, you could survive for three months and in that three months figure out a way to make ends meet to to go back to, um, to being afloat again. Other people will say six months. Some people who are more risk averse will even say 12 months. And some folks will say, oh, actually, it depends on what you do for a living or it depends on the type of job that you have. If you're in a field where you can get a job right away, maybe you only need three months of savings. If you're in a field where it's gonna take you a long time to get another job, maybe 12 months of savings. I say, you know, just to start off, start off with the minimum, start off with three months. It's going to seem like a lot, especially if you've never saved before. If you start to look at your monthly expenses, maybe it's uh, $2,000 and then you're like, okay, 2000 times three. Oh my goodness. Like, how am I supposed to save $6,000 in my bank? I've never had that much in my bank account and all these things come up. So, um, it's just about like learning to reframe it. And even if it takes you a long time to get to that three months, having that goal of like every month, I'm going to set aside a hundred dollars and that's going to go towards my emergency savings. All of that will help. And if an emergency does come up and you have to use it and then you go back to square one, well, that was the whole point of the emergency savings, right? So that you can use it and not be in the negative when an emergency happens. So start off with an emergency savings. Then if you are able um, to create your emergency fund, 
think about other things like so have you ever wanted to save to go on a nice vacation or travel you know that was always such a luxury for me that the only time I ever got to travel as a graduate student was through academic conferences because I was able to get grants to cover the fees to travel <laughs> through the conferences and so for me that was such a luxury is saving to travel um, for fun not just for an academic purpose um, or what what else are your um, personal priorities you know would you want to save for gifting maybe you want to start saving now to be able to give gifts during the holidays or maybe what other priorities could be maybe you're saving because you know uh, you know, at one point you're going to want to buy a home or maybe you're saving because you know you may want to buy a car or maybe you're saving because um, you know that you are going to be uh, trying to invest or trying to save for retirement. There are different reasons to save um, outside of just the emergency fund. But again, it's important to track your spending. This is the part that can hold people back from doing this. Maybe you've gotten to that point, you've created the spreadsheet and um, then you never look at it again, or it becomes really a tedious process of updating it. If that's the case, you may wanna look into some apps that could help you with this. Um, I'll be completely open and transparent. I use an app to help me track my money. And that the app that I use is called You Need a Budget. No, I'm not, it's, they're not sponsoring me. I'm not getting paid to say it. I'm just a big fan of it. It does, it does um, require paying an annual fee, but for me, it's worth that fee because I use it all the time. I look at it at least once a week, every week. It's, you know, it integrates with your checking accounts, with your credit cards. And so everything is on there. You can see where your money's going in and out. Um, some people use Mint. There are plenty of other apps. So you can kind of do your own research and figure out what you want to use. I'm just sharing what I use so that you have an example. Now, um, talking about checking and saving accounts, uh, you'll want to get more comfortable with setting up multiple accounts. This may not be something that you're familiar with. I know I grew up with immigrant parents and family members who were very resistant to creating any kind of bank account uh, whatsoever. They didn't want the government to know anything about the money that they made and very kind of averse to creating bank accounts, checking accounts, opening up credit cards, all of that stuff. So it was very foreign to me, the thought of having more than just like one checking and one savings. Why is it, is it helpful to have multiple accounts? Because then it makes it easier for you to um, allocate different funding for different things. So if, if you have like, for instance, you could have an emergency savings account and then you could have your separate savings account for your vacation. You could have your regular checkings account and then you can have your bills checking, the one where you just put the money to pay the bills to make sure that no matter what, you have a roof on top of your head, all your bills are paid for. You see what I mean? It can be helpful to have multiple accounts and then to automate your bills so that you know that your bills are gonna get paid for each month. And now um, I also wanna talk a little bit about credit, building credit, um, learning about credit scores, all of that. Uh, again, 
I know so many students who have never taken out a credit card and are afraid of that because they're not familiar with the process and they don't know anything about credit scores. What's a good score? What's a bad score? What is my credit score? Do I have one? And so for that, you know, if you haven't had the opportunity to open up a credit card, um, I would recommend that you look into that and that way you can start to build credit. Credit scores can range anywhere from 300 to 850. Those are the scores. Why is um, having a credit score important is because it will allow you to be able to do things like buy a car or buy a home or um, some, sometimes it's used for you to um, get a lease for an apartment and anything over 750 is considered an excellent score, but there's a range from like fair to good, to very good, to excellent. So um, it takes time to build your credit. In fact, um, there are multiple things that affect your credit history. Um, one thing is how old you've had your accounts. So how long have you had a credit card? How long have you had um, a student loan? How long have you had a mortgage, you know, if you were to buy a home, how long have you had a car payment? So the age, the longer you've had credit history, the better off you are. Um, the type of accounts, so having a mix of different types of uh, debt and paying it off every month looks better than just having one type. So if you just had a credit card versus having a credit card and a car payment, for instance, that will help you with your credit score. Um, your total debt and, uh, and your credit usage, so that's called your utilization. So that percentage of the amount of, um, let's say your credit card has a $5,000 limit and you only spend a hundred bucks a month or whatever on the credit card, you know, whatever a hundred divided by the 5,000, that percentage is your utilization. So the lower the utilization, the better off you are. But you also don't want to just not use your credit card. And so one thing that I tell myself and other friends around me when they tell me like, how did you get over 800 credit score? Um, I don't even know where I'm at now. I'm not quite at 850. I might be in the 820s. Um, how did you get there? And I say, well, I don't even use my credit cards that much. Um, but one of them, you just put one thing on it. One bill, it can be a tiny bill of like $2, $10, Netflix, Hulu, and then uh, pay it off every month, pay it off before, you know, the due date every month. And it doesn't matter how much you spend, so long as you're every month paying off your credit card, you'll be good and your credit score is going to jump. Uh, so all that stuff. So your repayment history, so making sure you're paying things off on time, will make up your credit history and credit score. Um, anytime you have an inquiry, like if you were to um, get a new credit card and then that creditor, um, what, is, what is they, um, what is it called when they run your credit check just to check your credit score? Each time someone runs your credit check, they that can affect your score and like lower it slightly. Of course, if you have a record of a bankruptcy or going on something going on collections or there's been this money that you have been unable to pay, all of that is also going to negatively impact your credit score. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's good to know that what a credit score is, how to uh, establish credit, 
Um, you know, one of the easiest ways to get started is through a credit card, but also a lot of your students and may have student loans. And that's another thing that is helping you to build credit. And once you are no longer a student and you start to pay off the student loans, that's also going to um, positively impact your score. Um, for credit cards, just be very careful when you're doing your research. Check out their um, interest rates, their annual percentage rate, the APR. Um, and what else? Treat it like a debit card. So by that, I mean only use your credit card. Only use it if you have the money to pay it off. So just like you would only use your checking account if you have money in it, <laughs> you also only want to use your credit card if you have the money to pay it off and pay it off in full on time every month. And then you should be okay. Now, um, Another thing I want to mention has to do with taxes because, you know, one thing that a lot of grad students are, are doing or maybe interested in doing just to survive is having more than one job to make ends meet. And so if that's the case, if you earn more than $12,000, you will need to pay taxes on it. And um, some of you choose to file your own taxes. Some of you have someone file taxes for you. Taxes are always due on April 15th every year. And so just keep an eye out on that. Like, don't let the fear of taxes, which that happened to me, don't let the fear of taxes get in the way of you finding ways to make more money. You see what I mean? And uh, just take note that if you have, uh, if you have a paycheck, then you're likely going to get a W-2 form at the end of the year. Um, for certain scholarships, fellowships, you may get a 1098 form. Um, and that's what you're also going to be used to report your income. And this is something that I don't think I was familiar when I got my first full-time job. But, you know, when you get your full-time job, there's a certain amount that's taken out of your paycheck to go towards taxes, state and federal taxes. And if you um, are deduct, depending on whether you deduct more or less, that will then determine how much money you will either owe or get back as a refund when you file your taxes. So I've always opted to get the most deducted because I've always liked the idea of getting a refund check during tax season. It makes me look forward to doing my taxes. But again, it's up to you. I also know some individuals who opt to um, deduct uh, less. That way they get more money to spend every month and then they're willing to save up so that way they can pay whatever the difference is that they owe during tax season. So that's completely up to you. Now I'm getting close to wrapping up and I wanna say two things, one about mindset and another about kind of grad school related recommendations. So about the mindset thing, there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of feelings of shame. There's a lot of discomfort. You may feel not very smart. You may think, oh, I'm not a numbers person. You may associate money and making money and having money as a negative thing. You may experience guilt when you start to make more money. So that is also part of the process. And I am not a financial therapist, but there is so much that goes on that's linked with the way that you behave with and around the money that you make and all the things that have happened to us in childhood. I mean, there's like, if you think about how your parents managed money or did not, how they, how did they handle their money? 
a lot of that may be passed down to you. So if your parents didn't know about financial literacy, you probably don't know about it either. If your parents are always afraid, are always thinking like in terms of scarcity, like I can't make enough, I, I don't have enough, you know, we're not going to be okay. Those might be the internal thoughts that you're having of like always thinking about the worst case scenario. And so it, it's going to take time. It's not going to be a quick and easy thing. It's going to be, if anything, probably a lifelong learning process. I don't feel like I'm done with my learning process with financial literacy either. And so just try to learn to be okay with sitting in that discomfort each time you face your money and your budget and your savings goals, et cetera. Um, that's what I want to say just for now. And now about the grad school um, recommendations. If you have the capacity to do this, apply to all the scholarships, all the fellowships, all the grants that you're eligible, get a part-time job. Some people get two. I had three part-time jobs, not that I encourage that, but just whatever you can handle. Some people get part-time jobs on campus. They'll become grad mentors. They'll become um, student advisors, et cetera. Other people get jobs outside of the uh, campus, like as tutors through ride sharing, delivering groceries teaching English online, selling items on Etsy, flipping secondhand shop items and selling them on eBay. There's so many ways to try to increase your income a little bit to help you out. And then, like I said, this is a lifelong learning process. So learn as much as you can about financial literacy. Um, one book that I recommend is the Get Good With Money book by Tiffany Alicia. It's available as a hardcover and as an audiobook. So it's all the basics of everything you would ever need to learn about money are in there. Um, if you like to listen to podcasts, obviously you do because you're listening to me now. Money Confidential, yes, Money Confidential is a great podcast to teach you the basics. And then another thing is just make sure you download the apps for all the financial institutions that you use. So for your checking, saving accounts to track your money, keep a spreadsheet, um, and in that spreadsheet, don't just put your budget, also put your debt. Yes, confront that and figure out how much do you owe overall in all kinds of debt. And put in your saving goals, your retirement goals, all those things are going to help you with managing your budget and in turn are going to help you with getting closer to reaching, you know, your overall kind of life goals. I hope you found that helpful and I'll talk to you all next time. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you tune in. You can also support the podcast by donating to my Patreon page, Anchor page, or Venmo account, which is at Grad School Femtoring. If you have questions or episode topics, you can contact me by sending me a DM on Instagram sending me an email to gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com, sending me a voice message on Anchor, or sending me a message via my personal website at yvettemartinezvu.com. Until next time. <laughs>